Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. I invite you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 23 as we continue our series on the names of God and the fact that you see God revealing himself to people and circumstances and his names reveal something about his character that we start to understand in the thick of what we're going through. That's usually how we learn the best, to be honest. Most of us learn by doing and then seeing it didn't work. And then we step back and say, we've got to figure out another way. And a lot of times what you see in scripture and kind of the arc of scripture is God meeting them exactly where they're at, whoever they are, and carrying them to a place that he wants them to be. And he reveals something of himself. You know, I was reminded this week, there was uh, some years ago, I'll leave his name out, but there was a head coach that had been a head coach of a major uh, college program. And he was being bumped up to the NFL. And he, uh, when he was being bumped up to the NFL, he decided to divorce his wife of 26 years. Here's what he said. He said he needed a wife while coaching on the college level for social functions and to show families that he would be looking out for their sons. In pro football, however, uh, she was an, an unnecessary accoutrement and a distraction to winning. He said winning football was his number one priority and his two sons were second. And that ends the sermon today. <laughs> I'm kidding. Here's, here's something that we do. When we don't like what we're hearing from God, you know what we often do? We might be tempted to switch gods, namely to those that are more accommodating to what we want, which is, by the way, exactly what that gentleman did. In contrast to him, though, I would like to introduce you to Tom Landry. Now, some of you probably remember Tom Landry. Uh, you may not necessarily be a Cowboys fan, but you might be. You could, you could dislike the Dallas Cowboys, but still like Tom Landry. Tom Landry. <laughs> I'm getting more reaction to this part than anything else I'm going to say all day. <laughs> Tom Landry, the former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, said this. And I want to say this in contrast to the gentleman that I quoted before. He said, the thrill of knowing Jesus is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. I think God has put me in a very special place. And he expects me to use it to his glory in everything that I do. Whether coaching football or talking to the press, I am always a Christian. Christ is first, family is second, football is third. Now, which of those two do you think had their priorities right? It's Tom Landry, by the way, in case you were wondering the answer to the question. Y'all look quiet out there. Come on. Have you ever seen people lose their way? I mean, have you ever seen people that were just so caught up in what they were doing that they have completely lost their way? Here we are in the book of Jeremiah chapter 23. We're going to look at verses 1 through 6 because you're talking about not just a person but a people that have lost their way. And God gets to a point where he's pretty upset about it. Now you need to understand there does come a time where we should be angry about things. Anger is not an unnecessary emotion. It might be a righteous reaction to what it is that you see in front of yourself. And that's exactly what you'll find in the passage that we're going to be looking at today. Because at the beginning of the chapter, God has something to say to leaders He's talking about political leaders, but he's also talking about religious leaders. Now, just so you know, back in that day, political leaders were meant to be religious leaders. It was expected of them. 
David, when you think about David, uh, David was meant to be a religious leader, not just a king. He was meant to lead people in righteousness. And so with all that in mind, you can probably understand what's going on as we read Jeremiah chapter 23. Here's what it says. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. This is the Lord's declaration. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says about the shepherds who tend my people. You have scattered my flock. You have banished them. You have not attended to them. And I'm about to attend to you because of your evil acts. Now, how many of you, just stop there for a second, will love to hear that coming from God to you? You haven't attended to them, so I'm about to attend to you. Some of you would probably remember if you go back into your childhood, I can remember my mother at times saying, your father is going to be home in an hour. And when I heard that, I was like, uh, that's not going to be good. <laughs> All right? It was a statement of an impending reality that was coming my way. And what you just found here is a statement of an impending reality that is about to come these people's way. Here's what it goes on to say. I will gather the remnant of my flock from all the lands where I've banished them and I will return them to their grazing land. Then they will become fruitful and numerous. I will raise up shepherds over them who will tend to them. They will no longer be afraid or discouraged, nor will anything be missed. This is the Lord's declaration. You know, you read this passage and you go, how bad was it really? I mean, what in the world was going on that God would be so upset with these people? And I wanna tell you at least a little bit of the story. See, long before all of this was even written, God had promised that the Messiah, namely Jesus, would come from the line of David. And at the end of Jeremiah 22, which is the chapter before the one that we were just reading from, God promised that none from the royal line of a guy named Jeconiah, or you might look into the scripture and read Jehoiachin, none would sit on the throne of David. Now this is interesting. And here's why this is interesting is because you have a curse that is pronounced on a guy named Jeconiah, who is, according to Scripture, directly in the line of David. Jesus, who is the Messiah, is from the line of David, but nothing that will be blessed, you see the curse, will come from the line of David. You go, how does that work? I mean, how can the Messiah be of the line of David, but nothing good come from the line of David? Well, I'll tell you how. In 498 BC, because all this goes back before a guy named Jehoiachin, to his father named Jehoiakim. Now they're very closely named, right? So Jehoiakim, he's the king of Judah. And according to 2 Kings 23, this guy was incredibly evil. He, he reigns for about 11 years. The, the Babylonians, by the way, were basically sitting at the doorstep right? So you have him leading. The Babylonians are more or less surrounding them, but not invading them, not taking them over. Jeremiah, who's writing this, is called the weeping prophet because he's aware of what is going to happen to the people of God. He knows what's coming. Jerusalem is going to be taken by a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. It's going to be destroyed. The people are going to be killed or they're going to be taken in captivity. So he keeps warning Jehoiakim, you need to change you need to repent. You need to lead and live differently. And I know you're wondering, how did he reply to the prophet that was speaking to him? And it was like deaf to it. He wasn't going to listen to what he was saying. And he kept leading the people in the wrong way. And of course, the people just keep following. Strikingly, Jehoiakim doesn't like Jeremiah. I know you're stunned by that. 
You know, the guy that's calling him out, he's like, I don't think I like him. Jehoiakim could not believe, by the way, that any of this would actually ever happen. That's not going to happen. And that's what he would say to Jeremiah. He continued his idolatry. And what's more is he said this, since we are Jehovah's chosen people, we're automatically protected from judgment no matter what we do. And Jeremiah is sitting there saying, I'm telling you what's coming unless you change. So when Jehoiakim had reigned three years, his first son was born. And Jehoiakim named his son Jeconiah. And just so you know, the Je in his name, the J-E, means Jehovah. And his second part, Kaniah, means signet ring. Now back in that day, a signet ring meant something. It was a sign. It was a sign or a symbol of authority. It was a sign or a symbol of power. And so you have this boy whose name is Signet Ring, and Jehoiakim gives him this name, Jehovah's Ring is on this boy. Now, he's not unaware of some things that Jeremiah has told him, namely that the root of blessing is cut off because of you. And so he still names his boy God's blessing. He knew better. The question becomes, how does this work? I mean, how can a Messiah come up from a line that Jeremiah just said the Messiah can't come from? I'm going to give you a couple ways of thinking about it. One way of thinking about it, and you see this in Jeremiah 22, 24, and 25, says, As surely as I live, declares the Lord, even if you, Jehoiachin, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were a signet ring on my right hand, I would still pull you off. I'll deliver you into the hands of those that want to kill you, those, those you fear, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and the Babylonians. I would still deliver you. And then in Jeremiah twenty two thirty, record this man as childless, a man who will not be successful in his lifetime. None of his descendants will succeed in sitting on the throne of David or ruling again in Judah. Again, how does it work? There are three possibilities that are out there. Here's the first. One is that the offspring mentioned in the curse, might be limited to the king's own children. That is, his immediate son or his immediate child. On a related note, the phrase in his lifetime could apply to the entire verse, but maybe it just applies to him. The blessing stops. And then maybe the blessings could pick up another time. Some think that's fair because the second rendering of it is because of something that happens later. There's another guy that shows up in scripture and that maybe God had reversed the curse on Jeconiah. It's hinted at at another prophet a guy named Haggai, if you've ever heard of him, uh, who told Zerubbabel, I'm giving you a lot of names today. Y'all hanging in there with me. So he tells Zerubbabel, who is Jeconiah's grandson, that God would make him a signet ring on his hand. So maybe there had been some restoration there. You're cut off, but I'll restore something through your line a little bit later. But there's a third possibility here that we have to focus on today. And maybe it's the virgin birth of Jesus himself. Because you see, when you look at the lineage of Mary, Mary also comes through the line of David. And there's nothing that connects on that side, the father's side to Jeconiah because Jesus had no earthly father. He was born of a heavenly father. Maybe that's it. And so what God does is he restores a line of blessing. There's a Messiah that he promises is Jesus himself that comes through the line of David. Good news, the line of David traces through Mary as well. Maybe. But then you go, why does all of this matter? 
And the answer is, if you have a people that have become so evil, that were chosen to be a blessing to the nations, but they have so walked away from God that God says, I'm going to cut you down like a tree, which is what he says. He says, instead, I'm also going to continue to do another work. I'm going to bring about, you'll see in verses five and six, a shoot. So let's look at it. It says, the days are coming, the Lord's declaration, when I will raise up a righteous branch for David. He will reign wisely as a king and administer justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved. Israel will dwell securely. This is the name that he will be called. Jehovah Sidkenu. The Lord is my righteousness. That's his name. You're going to see a king that is unlike any other king that you've ever seen. And he's going to be wise. He's going to lead justly. He's going to lead the people well. You need to remember something that's mentioned in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And here you have the name of God that is given, the Lord that is my righteousness. We should see a connection in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are those that hunger for righteousness and the filling of righteousness. You have to hunger for him to have righteousness is the point that he's trying to make. I mean, if you're not hungry, that's a pretty good indication that you're not well. If you go on for one week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, and you go, you know what? I still don't feel a need to have breakfast. I still don't feel a need to have lunch. I still don't feel a need to have dinner. That would probably, physically speaking, be a good indicator that something is wrong with your body. In Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, if you're not hungering and thirsting for righteousness, that's a pretty good indication that your soul, something is wrong with it. You're eating the wrong food is what's going on. See, if you've become comfortable with wrong things, you lose your appetite for right things. Example, you can eat a bag of pork rinds, Or you can have apples and cheese and mixed nuts. Both are going to fill you up, but only one option is going to be good for your body. And that said, I know what you're going to do. Some of y'all are still going to go eat some pork rinds today. <laughs> I get it. You can fill yourself up, but it doesn't mean that what you're putting in yourself is actually going to be nurturing to your body. Did you know that the exact same thing is true of what you put into your soul? We're given this word in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Not, not that Jesus sinned. It's that he took it. He took the brunt of it. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the exchange. And here's how it works. My sin is credited to Christ on the cross. And the righteousness of Christ is then credited to anyone who receives him. So wherever the one who is righteous dwells, that location becomes righteous. When you accept Christ, you have him and his Holy Spirit that indwells you. What has just happened to the location has changed. Something that wasn't there before is now there who is complete and, and holy and righteous and dwells you. That's the exchange. I want you to imagine, here's another way of seeing it. I want you to imagine that someone in their kindness gives you $1 million. Anybody for that today? I see the hands going up. Imagine that somebody gives you a million bucks. See, now you have something that you did not have before. 
and it was credited to you by their favor. It was something that they did for you. But now that you do have it, you have resources available in your life to draw on. Namely, a million bucks that you didn't have before. And if you can understand that illustration, you can understand what Paul is trying to tell you in 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for you. To take it on for you. So that you might become the righteousness of God. So that you might become something that you were not before and without him. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says it like this. That anyone... This means that anyone who belongs to Christ, Paul says, has become a new person. And you go, what does it mean to be new? And the answer is something about you changed. And the thing that changed when you accepted Christ was your standing, your position. You were once alienated from God. The new thing is you're not. You're united with him. And he says the old life is gone. That old life of alienation is gone. God indwells you now. Something huge has changed in your life. And you have all of the resources of God inside of you because he indwells you for it. You see, you become new. You have a new orientation about things because you have the spirit of God indwelling you. You see things differently. You value things differently. You have all of God's resources to draw on in your journey that you did not before. Moreover, the Holy Spirit who indwells you, and you see this in 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, is described as the seed. The Holy Spirit is the seed. The seed, however, is sown into a heart that's pretty messed up. Is that fair? I mean, when you came to Jesus and his Holy Spirit came into you, did the Holy Spirit not come into a pretty messed up space? And that seed that comes into you has the possibility of growing out into something that's amazing. But it's inhabiting a space that needs some work. But notice something has been put into you. Just like before I was saying, hey, you can go snack on some pork rinds. Or you can get some apples and cheese and peanuts because they're awesome. Right? You can go do that. There's your choice. But what are you putting in there? Well, now that you have divine resources inside of you, the question is, is what are you going to feed the divine resources that are in you? What's that going to be? It doesn't mean it can't grow, but it does matter what you feed a plant with. If you put a plant in ground that has no soil, that plant's going to struggle, and I don't care how good of a plant it is. What we put into ourselves really matters. Did you know there are even some things that plants simply don't receive? For example, if you tried to feed your plants with WD-40, that friends, that just ain't going to go, well... Did you know that? If you put borax out there on your plants, they're not going to look so good and it's not going to take too long because it doesn't fit how they were made to thrive. So when we're choosing wrong instead of right, we're putting something in us that the spirit who indwells us can't receive it. Have you ever put food in your body that, was, had, that basically led to food poisoning and next thing you know, you're throwing up? It's because there was something that was in your body that your body could not receive. Do you know that the Holy Spirit that is inside of you will not receive the sin that you're trying to push down in you? It is going to fight back against it because it's the source of righteousness. That is who indwells you. However, when we choose what is right, it's like loading a plant with nutrient-rich soil. And when you tap into the righteousness that indwells you, holiness is what comes out of you. That's how change happens. 
I was giving some thought about this passage because it's, it's a pretty great one to me. God did something for me, undeserved, but in his mercy and kindness, he did it. The Lord, my righteousness. Think of it like this, an example that I borrow. I want you to imagine a ballerina who dances for the New York City Ballet. She has been declared good enough to be a part of the company. From a young age, she has set herself apart to that purpose, to honing her skills, and she continues to practice and improve as she dances. In this analogy, righteousness is the ballerina's position in the ballet company. She's been given a position. Now, her talents have been approved, and she belongs to the company. Holiness is the ballerina's dedication and devotion to the art. Everything in her life, what she eats, who she knows, how she spends her time and resources, she bows to that purpose. And did you know when it comes to Jesus and our holiness, it is our dedication to him. How we devote our time, our resources, we bow them to him. Martin Luther said it like this. He said, this life, therefore, is not righteousness, but growth in righteousness. Not health, but healing. Not being, but becoming. Not rest, but exercise. We are not yet what we shall be, but we are growing toward it. The process is not yet finished, but it is going on. This isn't the end, this is the road. And all does not yet gleam in glory, but all is being purified. And all because you have Christ as your righteousness. That's the great exchange. Have you ever looked into scripture and it says our righteousness compared to him is filthy rags because there's absolutely nothing to compare to. But when we take him, the old goes away. We have a new standing with the Lord, a Holy Spirit that indwells us so that holiness can come pouring out of us. Spiritually, I just wanna ask you a question this morning. And it matters because in a moment we're going to be taking communion. And I want your hearts to be ready for what we're going to receive. But a question that I have for you today, what is it that you're feeding your soul? I don't want you to walk away and think that the main thing that I was worried about was literally your physical diet today. It's just an example I was giving. Though, you know, come on, your body's a temple, right? What are you feeding your soul? What are you putting in there? Is it something that is the platform where the holiness that God desires for you can come pouring out of you because you already have a Holy Spirit that is inside of you that is a seed for that change in you. What are you putting in you? What are you feeding your soul with? And I just want to throw a couple of things out there. Without the word of God being implanted, and this is why we hold to the centrality of God's word at this church, is because we believe that all scripture is God-breathed and profitable for reproof and correction and instruction and in righteousness, that the person of God might be mature and thoroughly furnished for every good work. We believe that when we open the Bible, we're literally seeing the thoughts of God and then we can compare our thoughts with his and see which ones need to go and what needs to be replaced. We can see it. We can see it. And I bring that up as a simple example to ask a question. What are you feeding your soul. What is the steady stream 
of your soul's diet? And would it, what you're putting into yourself, would it on its best day ever bring about a fruit of holiness in your life? And if the answer to that question is no, friends, it is time to change your diet. It is time. It's time to, spiritually speaking, put the pork rinds down. And it's time to start snacking on some fruit. What it is that the Holy Spirit can receive that you're putting into yourself instead of what it is that the Holy Spirit is constantly having to reject because it doesn't fit with the God that indwells you. I'm going to give you a moment to respond in a couple of ways. Because as we take communion, we want our hearts to be ready for this, don't we? We want our hearts to be ready. What I hope that you've seen in all this, including this story, you've got a people that have walked away from God and in spite of that, God says, I'm going to raise one up that's going to be a shoot. A blessing that has come from a fallen tree. And did you know that that is every single one of our stories? Did you know that? That every single one of us, friends, we are all a fallen tree. And what God wants to do is bring up a shoot of blessing through his son Jesus Christ for you today. So I encourage you today, one, is to accept the offer. Accept the offer. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you are saved, says Paul. And we've prayed today would be the day of your salvation. But maybe for others of you, you've taken a pretty hard look as we've been looking at this today. And you say, you know what? It's not that I, it's not that I don't know Jesus. It's just time for some things to change. Well, Maybe today will be the day where, like others before you say, as for me and my house today, we will serve the Lord. It's a good day to make that choice. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.